You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. Welcome back to another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. Thank you so much for being here this week with Trevor and I. We're happy to have you. And this week we're talking about less is more, or rather, is less always more. So Trevor, this topic is one that we we think is just underrepresented it in the personal finance realm. Yeah, you know, we searched for the, uh, this uh, online and really didn't find much as it relates to money. And uh, that's what we hope to cover here. So before we delve into some both some areas where less is more, some strategies, and also the comparison between a more, a life that really embodies living with less is more, let's first, I'm, I first want to pose a question to you, Trevor. What does less is more. What does that mean to you? Well, I'll give you a little example. So uh, way back, I'm going to say, when me and my wife first met, and we, we had jobs and we'd, uh, we'd commuted together. We carpooled in to work together. And we'd always stop at this donut shop on our way to work. And we'd each get a coffee and we'd share an apple fritter. It's like a donut. And we'd sit there, drink our coffee and eat this donut. And then one day I had the idea of saying, you know what? And we, we love that anyway. We really love that. And one morning I decided I want my own apple fritter. And I, obviously there'd be more apple fritter to eat. And it was so unsatisfying, you know, ha- having that whole apple fritter to myself that I didn't savor the, 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 the donut itself. And I just sort of just shoveled it in. And, and that was my first experience with, with uh, when less is actually more. I love that example because it's so simplistic. And actually, I have, I have a food-related example myself. I, uh, I make a mean apple crisp, and I always double the amount of apples. And then I, one time, instead of doubling the topping, I tripled the topping. So because the topping is honestly the best part of the apple crisp. And I, I thought, yes, let's double, triple the topping. And it comes out of the oven, and I start eating it. And it's just, there's too much topping. So it, it was a moment again, food related, funny enough, where it was the first time that I realized that, yep, you can in fact have too much of a good thing. Yeah, it's really uh, astonishing when it happens. And I think it's a hats off to people who be, who are aware of it when it happens and they, they just don't all of a sudden decide, hey, I don't like apple crisp anymore. And the reason we're covering this today is because the idea and the concept of less is more as illustrated by Trevor's and my example is that it applies across the board to every facet of your life from eating food to to the everything you partake in on a daily basis well i think this is the at the core our podcast is about uh, making deliberate lifestyle choices that lead to financial independence and I think if you have a less is more mentality, I think it's going to help lead you down that road of financial independence. And it, it, as we go through the, the our list of things we, to consider, uh, they're really all lifestyle choices. Definitely. So Trevor and I have compiled a list of nine areas of your life where less is more. So we have clothes, cars, homes, entertainment, technology, hobbies, consumer goods, relationships, and time. So Trevor, each of these are, they're very, they're unique in that. And there's definitely a lot to say about both. So both sides of the argument about less is more. So let's delve first into clothes. 
Yeah, so with clothes, I don't know if anybody's familiar with uh, the minimalists. They talk about a thing called Project 333. It's actually it was developed by Courtney Carver, who's a part of the minimalist movement herself. And it's really, it's about someone having 33 articles of clothing. And they basically, that's their whole wardrobe. And, and that's a woman doing that. So I, I'm going to say for men, this is maybe an easy one. I think in, in general, if you have fewer articles of clothing, you can have higher end clothing. So designer clothes or, or more durable clothes, whatever you consider high end. But by having fewer articles of clothing, you can afford to have better quality it's funny you bring up the minimalist because in one of their episodes, I think I want to say it was the clothes episode they had. They actually talked about how they will invest in higher end things. They'll, they'll, if anyone's heard of Patagonia, it's a, it's a higher end outdoor clothing line and Patagonia is expensive, but expensive product lines like that sometimes offer lifetime guarantees or their products are so durable that they will last a long time. So there's this debate over spend money now and save later. And in that way, I think you, I don't know, what do you think, Trevor? If you're buying expensive pieces of clothing, you're going to maybe make more deliberate choices about them and therefore have less pieces and therefore like everything in your closet. Well, I think you, by having fewer articles of clothing and of high quality, you'll you'll have to determine what your style is. You can't have every style going by by being a, having a less is more mentality around your clothes. You can't you can't not only can you not af- afford to have uh, multiple versions of the same article of clothing in different colors. You you, you the, the cost would just be too much. One thing we do have to take into consideration, though, is any of our fellow Canadians listening, we do live in a very diverse climate. So yeah. there, you have to account Season. for four seasons. Plus, I'm going to even argue maybe all the... There, I, I would even say there's there's the in-between seasons, too. In-between spring and summer, they've kind of got that awkward in-between. There's So you really just have to... There alone, you have to have a little bit more clothing than someone who lives in a warm warmer climate. Now, this is coming from uh, an older male, so this, this doesn't apply to a cross-section of the population, but how I've structured my, uh, my closet is I basically have one week's worth of clothes. I, now, I'm going to adjust for seasonality. Obviously, I've got summer clothes and winter clothes being in from Canada, but I have one week's worth of clothes, so I do laundry once a week, and I, I, I cycle through all my clothes. The beauty of that is everything in my closet is my favorite shirt, my favorite pants, my favorite everything. They're all my favorite. I don't have any ones that I, I have to wear because I, you know, it's not laundry day yet. Everything in there, I, I, I can't wait to wear it. So, I, I, that's one of the benefits of less is more mentality with clothes is, you, you can like everything you have because there's it's you can afford to make sure everything's your favorite. I, I love that example. I'm gonna spin it to a more younger perspective and maybe more of a female perspective where. You, you might partake in different things. An example, um, as a female, some, some nights you go out to the bar or the club and that definitely takes a different attire than when you go to class or you go to work. So there, you definitely need a very versatile um, closet. And, and, and if, we, if the young females my age are living by Trevor's philosophy, when Friday night rolls around and your friends are saying, hey, let's go out and you're looking in your closet. You're like, Hmm, 
I only have school clothes in here. What do I do? Crap. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I can't, don't have anything to wear. So as a girl, it's, I mean, in a guy, but a girl, especially, I mean, you throw on the skirts and the dresses. So I, I'm going to argue that as a female, there's a, there's a lot, uh, there's more complications. Yeah. Somebody my age, it's about as simple as it gets. So I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly that, I mean, cause um, your Trevor, your life I'm sure is, is very, is very the same from week to week extremely predictable yeah and and i think if you're if you're closer to my age versatility is something that's so important and also to let's not forget that you don't exactly or you might not exactly have the the spending the spending cash to to buy and purchase um expensive clothing maybe all you can afford at that moment are more quote-unquote disposable items well and i also want to say that Less is more mentality with clothes doesn't mean you're going to spend less money overall because if you end up spending the money on high quality clothes, you might spend as much as you would have spent on, on sort of lower grade clothing, but more of it. So yeah. it's, it's not necessarily a money saving strategy as much as it is a uh, simplifying your life strategy. Oh, for sure. I just want to highlight the fact that maybe someone who's younger cannot afford to buy that $200 sweater in that moment, but they can afford to buy a more inexpensive sweater in that moment if they need a sweater. So I, I would conclude by saying for the clothing category, I think less is always more because recently myself, I went through all my entire closet with I think this, why, while I do agree less is more, I think there's different variations depending where you are in life and maybe your gender and your age and, and what your what your environment is like. Uh, looking in your closet and not knowing what to wear, a lot of times that comes from too many options. So if you looked in your closet and you had very limited options, you wouldn't be fretting over, oh, what can I wear? What can you wear is right in front of you. you you've got, you know, three choices. If, if you have, you know, three outfits you haven't worn yet. Oh, definitely. So even if you do less is more with all of your your activities that you might do if you if you go out on the weekends, if you go to work, if you go to the gym, maybe do less is more in those categories too as a as a strategy to get to where you are, Trevor. Like if you think everybody's got that article of clothing in their closet that they don't like, they won't throw it out. And every every now and then when they have to wear it because everything else is in the in the laundry, they don't even enjoy wearing it. So it's 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 there's no wins in there anywhere. Definitely. And if I did not do a clothes purge just a few weeks ago, I, I would not understand the, the liberation you feel when you open your closet and you absolutely love everything that's in there. I mean, I'm sure I can, I can do a little bit better. It sounds like you've really pared down yourself, but it, it feels good. So uh, to our listeners out there, if you haven't done uh, a clothes purge and maybe you're struggling with it, bring some people into the picture they can help you because half the time maybe something doesn't look good on you anymore or you you've had it for too long and you've just grown to love it even though you should probably get rid of it so bring people into your life to to help you with this and it, it'll feel good and, and it'll inspire you to to keep doing this in other aspects of your life a good strategy for uh deciding what needs to be purged is take all your hangers that your clothes are hung on and turn them backwards in your closet and at the end of, say, 60 days or 90 days, just observe everything that hasn't been turned, you know, the right way around the hanger. And you'll know you those are the things you haven't wore. Definitely. This is a classic strategy that I, I'm sure even the minimalists uh, recommend. And it, it, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's, a great, it's a great strategy. Or even a packing party, you pack your clothes away and then pull things out that you need. Same kind of idea. 
So Trevor, let's move on to cars. This is a this is a great topic because generally, I mean, most families I'm sure don't have an absorbent amount of cars um, in their driveway. So what's your take on this? Well, less is more with cars for sure. Like cars are are pure expense. They're, they're, a lot of people refer to them as assets. They're not. They're pure expense. They just consume money in, in multiple ways. Having multiple cars, obviously, there's a convenience issue. You know, you you particularly if you've got young kids and a lot of activities, having multiple cars can be handy. But if if you have multiple cars, I, I know my experience has been one of those cars is always a little. Its reliability is always a little questionable. And it's always in the back of your mind wondering, you know, what that car is going to need next, what kind of repair. And, you know, it's it's one of those ones you 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 concerned that you might be stranded somewhere in it. So that second car is always a, in my experience, Ben, has always been a, a sort of a, a sore spot of, of wondering about its reliability. It's also another car to be maintained, another car to be insured, another car to be licensed. So... There's a real cost to the the convenience a second car brings a family, and you really start to have to wonder, you know, if 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 you could get by with one car, the savings is astronomical. Wouldn't wouldn't that happen to the one car that you do have that it will get old and you will and then you only have one car in your driveway and you'll be worried about that one car and if it'll last you and make you and get you to the destination you need to get to. Whereas if you have two cars, you have that backup. Well, if you only have one car, you can afford to spend more money on it. So it, it can be a more current model. And you do have to make sure it's maintained impeccably. You can't afford to let maintenance slide if you only have one car. But if you think of things like snow tires and all these uh, things you need for, for each car you own, and, and then they, arranging it, snow tires installed, get them, you know, the summer tires put on, uh, oil changes, th- there's a lot of time uh, you know, for uh, appointments to get these these maintenance things, regular maintenance things uh, addressed with two cars. You kind of doubled your workload from that respect. And I would ask everybody who's got two cars, how often do you look out and see your two cars in the driveway? Like, how often are they actually both in the driveway? Well, I'm going to take it back to the whole busy family example. I, I lived in a family where there when i when i was living at home there was there's five of us and we all had jobs in different locations and i'm i'm just wondering the validity of having one car and the logistics of it i mean i i'm thinking it would have been more of a headache and a hassle just having that one car and you would have been stressing more about making your family work i mean that wasn't for long but it was still it's still we still couldn't get by with even um two it, it felt like a stretch there's definitely times in your life where you you need two cars. I, I I'll give you that, but some people they they just they they don't they they may move to a period in their life where they, they only really need one car. The second car is really a, a huge excess, and they, but they never stop to address it because they've always had two cars. So I'll give you that. There's there's families and times in your life where you can't get by with with one car, but if if you're if you're owning two. If you're only two cars out of out of habit, then that's when you need to address it. Okay, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It it sounds like that's more of a case where you, you fall into something. I mean, maybe you had two cars for your whole working career, and then you finally retire, and you and your wife, you and your wife might only need one car. Or I mean, you, yeah, I think so. When you and your you and your wife both retire. Oh yeah, we'll only have one car at that point. Actually, we've been toying with the idea of owning one car now. We both work, but we work similar hours, 
and we're really starting to question uh, the need for two cars. It's, uh, it's, we live in a small town, so the distances aren't that far. And we're, we're seriously considering going down to one car and the savings is, it's, it's going to be substantial. Do you think, I mean, you, you say you work similar hours, but I'm, I'm, I can't imagine that maybe they're not identical. Do you think that'll add a little bit of headache or do you think the savings will make up for it? Well, it, you, there, there's headaches and aggravations, you know, looking after two cars. So, you know, you, you're, you're trading maybe some aggravation headaches of, you know, getting two people to, to work and home in exchange for dealing with uh, repairs and maintenance of two cars. So, I mean, it's, 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 there's a bit of an exchange there. If we have any listeners this week who haven't haven't been around for our two part car series, uh, we Trevor, you have two very old cars. You do you think you would have needed to get a new car sooner because it would have been your only car? So how does that come into play? Yeah, you, if you have um, only one car, you can't let it get too old. So I, I'm a big advocate of used cars. So you you would need to replace your car more frequently if you only had one because he obviously the older car gets, the more unreliable it becomes. But uh, it's still going to be, just say I replaced my used car when it was eight years old and suppose when it was 10 years old, you know, that I I think I'm still saving money overall. And given the example I just gave, you might be able to afford a, again, I think quality always comes into play when you're getting less of something, but maybe you'll could get a, uh, a more expensive car because it's not like you're buying two used cars. You're only buying one. Or even if you bought new, you're just buying one car. Well, I might buy something a little more versatile like a SUV or, or a van or something that has some versatility if I've only got one car. That actually touched on what I wanted to ask you next, and that is the, the size of your car. So less is more. Does that, So you're saying that does not apply to the actual the size of it and, and the, the seating of the, your vehicle? No, I, I think it's the number of cars. I, I think we're, 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 is where I'm sort of focusing on. I, I think if you only have one car, it actually needs to be versatile. Definitely, and that kind of that kind of plays into the point. Even though a, a two door uh, sports convertible, it, there's definitely there's there's less car there, but and it is quality. It's going to be more expensive. It, it, it might not work well with your lifestyle. So let's delve into point number three: homes. Yeah, this is a, you know, cars and homes are the the biggest consumers of, of anybody's money. And if you can adopt a less is more mentality with cars and homes, just those two things alone, uh, I think your your path to financial independence would be pretty pretty well paved. So with homes, uh, the savings are, are obvious. You've got your taxes, your heating, your maintenance. Uh, if you do renovations, for instance... If I wanted to put hardwood floors in the home I'm in now, which is the home I raised my family in, so it's now it's just me and my wife, so there's more home here than we need. Uh, we're actually thinking of downsizing to a smaller bungalow, and I've got laminate floors in the in this house because they they just cost less. But if I want to do uh, renovations and put in real hardwood, it would cost me uh, a small fortune to do it in a house the size I'm in now. But I, if I move to a smaller house, that's what I plan to do, do ceramic and hardwood. So those kind of upgrades become more affordable or even attainable in a smaller square footage. So less is more, meaning you can have fancier for, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even consider putting hardwood floors in this house. So I, 
I can have fancy and, and, and luxurious in a smaller space. I do want to touch on how tiny homes and the idea of living small is really is really coming into play here and, and kind of maximizing on the idea of less is more. Well, I think part of this is being driven by uh, the baby boomer generation retiring. I know in the town I live in, it's kind of a, uh, has a high percentage of retired people uh, given the cross-section of the rest of the country. And they are building a lot of two-bedroom smaller homes here because a lot of people are retiring from the city into this town. And that, that that's what the demand is. So it, it could, that could be kind of driving it. But I think when I was a kid, and it was all about square footage. My parents were buying houses, and, and when they were looking at houses, all I ever talked about was square footage. You know, that was sort of the, the main point and the number of bedrooms, the number of bathrooms. And it wasn't about uh, the luxuries the house had or the, you know, it wasn't about central vac or hardwood floors. It was about just size. There seems to be a trend more toward uh, luxury, like granite countertops, uh, high-end bathrooms, that, that seems to be where a lot of the focus is on newer homes. So well, less is more. So I'm talking less space, uh, more luxury. So you've spent the same amount of money, but it, you've got less yard to look after. You've got less uh, things to maintain. If we're going to talk about luxury, could we not say that less is more is, is mean even get rid of the luxury and live in the simplistic the simplistic home, maybe it is that two-bedroom home, but I just think we need to take the emphasis off equating you can buy the exact same large home with the exact same luxurious home. I think we need to go one step further and say, let's buy a simplistic home that isn't luxurious. I would agree with that, actually. I mean, my uh, new apartment has uh, doesn't have AC, so I, I think at some point uh, less is is not more, but... As the summer comes around, I'll probably wish I had that. So I think there's there's a point where you can get you can really not have enough. But if you do go too luxurious, just to the point of being luxurious, and it doesn't actually add enough value to your life, I think that's where you start crossing the I line. I think you want to be comfortable, and uh, th- then you you could, you start assessing what what you really need beyond that. Definitely, I want to talk about because you've been through this. You've had a family. Uh, you hear the uh, the point all the time where, oh, I'm buying a home that will fit my family. And we all know that commission on buying homes is not is not cheap. So how do you uh, planning for a family, planning to have extra space for something? What's your take on that? Well, I know the people moved in next door to me is a four bedroom home. And it was a young couple that moved in there. They had no kids at the time. And so it was a lot of house for two people. It's probably, uh, I don't know, 2,500 square feet. And they lived there for, I don't know, maybe almost two years. And then they've since had a, a, a son. I don't know how many kids they plan to have, but there's still a lot of house for three people. So I think, you know, people may tend to buy for the worst case scenario, which, which can be an expensive route to go. But it's also expensive to buy and sell houses. So it's kind of a trade-off. I guess if you if you think you might be leaning toward a large family, then uh, you'd probably want to err on the side of a larger home. And, and I I get that 
those two years were maybe worth living in that big home, but at the same time, maybe using the just in time strategy, which is a business strategy where you provide training and order products just when you need them. So you don't have all this extra inventory on hand is the way that a lot of businesses are going. So can you apply that same just in time strategy to buying a home or is that too crazy just because of the, uh, the large numbers you're working with when you're purchasing one? Well, I mean, my my parents described uh, my growing up in a house where they had to share bedrooms with siblings. So it, that's not the craziest concept. If 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 siblings had to share a room, uh, it it may not be ideal, but it it's certainly workable. What was your strategy? Because y- you had twins, so how did how did you and your wife go about deciding how big of a house you needed? And uh, from your personal experience, and do you have any anything you would have done differently? Well, I had three kids, so I. I needed four bedrooms in a perfect world and I had a house with three bedrooms and then I switched jobs and, and relocated to my new job in which case I, I knew how many bedrooms I needed at that point. So I, I bought for my immediate needs. And you were even saying before the show that, um, I mean, you said your daughters even shared bedrooms for, for a few years there too, because your wife was working at home. So it sounds like, it sounds like from that conversation that you really, you, you're working, I think, perfectly where you should be where you 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 had enough space but you didn't have too much space I never felt like I had too much house until I became an empty nester so I I clearly have too much house at this point I I spend a lot of time cleaning rooms that I never go in how soon I mean you're so you're how how long have your kids been under the house and how soon do you recommend to our listeners that they should start evaluating when they need a smaller space well you want to make sure your kids are fully launched you want to always leave them a an option to come home if 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 they need to. So I, I don't want to downsize too soon until I know they're fully on their way. Do you ever get the feeling that you are you're you're wasting money or you're I guess but your home is paid off at the same time. But do, is there any downsize downside to holding onto the home other than annoyances like cleaning and and other tiny things like that and home repairs I guess. Well, you you know you always think about some of the big repairs and you'd like to maybe sell before those things come to to need to be addressed like a new roof or things like that. So it's the timing, you know, ideally I'd, I'd get out before I needed to address some of the bigger repairs. So I think we've talked about homes for long enough. Let's move on to entertainment. You know, I used to have a high end cable package and, and you would find yourself saying, boy, there's nothing to watch. And it didn't matter how many channels I had, there was still nothing to watch. And I think you just need to, you know, Pick a genre of entertainment that, and, and, and focus on that. A lot of a lot of this less is more is is being focused. And so I, I have my only form of entertainment right now is Netflix. And there's so many shows in there I want to watch. I'll never get to see them all. So uh, one aspect of entertainment is is for the sporting fan. And it, to be a fan of of multiple sports. This becomes a problem, and it's a double-edged sword, is it consumes a lot of time. And to subscribe to all those specialty channels, it consumes a lot of money. So I tend to, I'm a bit of a sports fan. I watch hockey, and I enjoy a bit of baseball. So I, I don't sort of do football, basketball, in, in multiple sports like that. So I, I tend to keep my my sports sort of entertainment pretty focused. I really, I really like the two kind of polar opposites you brought up with the sports channel, but Netflix. I mean, you brought up the idea of, of picking a genre of entertainment, which I'm not sure I entirely agree with, but you have done that. And I think in the area where it counts. 
So, I mean, it, again, like you said, if you if you wanted to get a, a channel for everything, if you're into cooking, if you were into um, documentaries, so maybe the Discovery Channel, if you're into sports, that's a lot of dollars you're pouring into specialized genres of entertainment. But, I mean, it, from the sounds of it, you, you, you like watching sports, so that is a good avenue where you can enjoy and immerse yourself in various sports. But I also do like the idea of of Netflix where you're able to enjoy a little bit of everything. But I do want to, I do want to say about Netflix and even any um, music streaming um, services is that we're going to talk about this later when we talk about deep versus broad life. But with Netflix and, and the streaming services, you're almost spreading yourself thin and it's almost in a, an option overload in that you're given all these options. And it wasn't like before when you went out to the store and you bought, bought a CD and that was, your very focused genre of music or your focused artist. So it was a lot more deliberate and, and maybe more intentional. And, and you listen to that album in a different way than you, and less passively than you maybe do when you stream um, Apple Music. Well, I think the streaming services, they that's actually marketing at, at its finest because they're trying to expose you to as much music as, as possible. So you, you can't actually live without the streaming service. You couldn't afford to buy all the music individually. Th- that's a great point. I didn't even think of it from that angle, from the market angle. But yes, that's completely true. It's it's one of those. It's it's almost like a a drug. Once you get a little bit of it, you you can't give it up because you forget what it's like before you had it. Well, you know, one of the things with pirating music, when that was a, a popular thing to to illegally download MP3s, back when you know illegal downloading music was at its at its peak, where you would go to these shady sites and download uh, MP3s. Uh, from peer-to-peer sites, when, when that was at its peak, it was actually easier to do that than it was to actually buy music, say, from Apple's iTunes store because it was licensed to a, a specific computer. And if you got rid of that computer, your your, your music was gone and it, it was real difficult. You had to get a hold of Apple and it, w- it was just a nightmare. These streaming services actually made it easier to get music than, than illegally downloading it. So they actually dis- they've killed the the black market for music by making it so easy to consume music through these subscription services. So that to me, that that's marketing at its finest. Oh, for sure. And even if we spin um, the music subscription services the other way, and even Netflix, if we spin it in a more positive light and say that from the less is more philosophy that instead of having these stacks of DVDs and, and stacks of CDs, I mean, if, or if people are still purchasing CDs, it's almost a little bit better than than having those sitting around because you have less physical um, clutter and you it's kind of all it's all at your disposal and and you can listen to as much or as little as you want so so that that is another good aspect of less is more so it kind of I really do think entertainment um, slides both ways. Well, if you think of the less is more man mentality when it comes to entertainment, so I'm going to th- talk about movies and TV shows, music and books, and what's popular right now is not to own things but to have access to things so if you think of netflix you don't own anything but you have access to it apple music or spotify you don't own anything but you have access to it kindle unlimited through amazon you don't own those books but you have access to them less and even even uh, amazon prime if we're going to talk about unlimited access to things yeah. yeah that one as well this is is giving us more not less in a way, I'm not a fan of, of that model, those models, because there's there's too much to pick from. It, it's limitless. It, it, you end up with indecision in a lot of cases. 
definitely in very maybe passive consumption and um and again like i said earlier less of deliberation and and just kind of doing things without thinking so it it is really pushing that let's move on to technology so technology does differ differ from entertainment so for me i had a a brush with uh too many gadgets uh, just recently so i had a I have an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook, and a Kindle. And no matter what I wanted to do, wherever I sat down and whatever gadget I had with me, whatever I wanted wasn't on that device. You know, I had too many gadgets and, you know, whatever one I picked up, it needed to be charged. And the charging cable, I don't know where it was. So I've stopped using my tablet. I've stopped using my Kindle. I'm I'm down to my my MacBook and my iPhone, and I know as there's only two charging cables, and everything I want is on, you know, one or two devices, and it, that simplification. So, by removing those other two devices from my life, I've removed a, a lot of stress, a lot of concern, a lot of you know discontent. Do you think you needed to have all those devices in order to not have them? Did I need to have too many to realize what too many look like? Is that sort of where you're going? Yeah, it's it's more the whole, are you, in the, from the minimalist perspective, are you a minimalist or are you um, poor? Yeah, well, if you don't know, uh, like the like, answer Do you think for- you would have had the same appreciation for having less if you didn't have uh, all, everything? Yeah, I, I think I think I needed to have those gadgets in order to realize that I didn't want them. In a way, I, I think you need to when whenever you buy something, you need to know you need to define its purpose. Because whenever I'm and, looking, but at, I could we could argue we could argue that each of your devices do have a purpose. I mean, a Kindle has a very specific purpose, and your and your iPad has a specific pers- purpose of being able to travel with you. Unlike your um, Mac, which travels a little less easily, but it does travel. But there's there's a lot of overlap between all those devices, though. No, that's no, that is a good point. And has your life suffered at all because you've eliminated these um, the devices and you're going down to just two? Oh no, I I've just stopped thinking about those, and it, it, it's a much more pleasant experience. This is a complete 360 from I mean how you used to describe yourself as someone who was always wanting the latest gadgets. So, I mean, it how how this it's been a long journey. I I from what I gather from you wanting to acquire all these to you today where you're okay with just two the answer for gadgets for me was always n plus one n being the current (laughs) number of gadgets i have so i think it's safe to say to all listeners out there if you are not of the minimalist uh, mindset with technology right now that i mean look at trevor he had he had n plus one so i think um i think it's 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 very human to to always want more but realize that you don't need more and to just be more mindful of what you're actually using. So uh, let's move on to hobbies. This is a really interesting one that, um, it, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem to come to mind when you first think of less is more, but I think it really applies to this uh, this philosophy. Well, hobbies can consume a lot of money. I, I think with hobbies, you just need to be focused. I'm going to give you an example of one I, I have. So I dabble in furniture making. I started acquiring tools and, and skills to build any kind of and every kind of furniture I, I wanted to. I built roll top desks, 
chairs, cabinets, tables. They were all learning exercises and, and they required a, a huge diverse tool set. And looking back, I think I would have rather been more focused in furniture making and say, just be a chair maker and build very elaborate chairs, very unique chairs, and, and just focus on that one element of the craft. And I think that would have been far more engaging. I would have been a master of chair making rather than the sort of a jack of all trades. But isn't it natural to want to adventure and to explore and to try new things and, and go outside of the realm of what you've done before? I mean, I'm sure that's why you you move from maybe just making a scroll top, a roll top desk to making a chair. But if, if you go deep enough into just a very narrow focus, you, you can, I mean, in furniture making, it, it, you could get into uh, period pieces of furniture chairs, you know, like from uh, Windsor chairs to um, shaker style chairs. You, you could build from all sorts of eras and just chairs alone is in a really deep cross section of furniture. So it's, that's just an example, chairs. Looking back, I, I would have got more satisfaction from the hobby if I were more focused. I know. I love that example. I'm just, I'm just, I guess, grasping with the idea that like realistically on paper, it does make sense to really delve into one thing, but there's a reason you didn't just stick with chairs. There's a reason you wanted to try making different things. So I think we have to in, in, really introduce the human element of um, wanting to explore an adventure into this into this uh, philosophy with hobbies. I think it was just a lack of focus. I, I think I could have invested a lot less money in tools and had it just as an engaging hobby in just one narrow scope of the craft. So I, I guess what I'm gathering is that more, it was more, if you were more mindful and, and more aware of what brought you joy and and you would have maybe realized this it's just that you weren't aware of this at the time yeah okay i i do want to take this hobbies example in a different direction for any of our listeners out there who have adventured to the store michael's which is an arts and crafts supply store you will know exactly what i'm talking about when i say that it is extremely overwhelming and if you're anything like me and you even have a hint of arts and crafts inside of you you will probably want to purchase the whole entire entire store because that's always what I feel like when I enter Michael's. I want to purchase everything, even even if it's something I'm not even into. I, I definitely want to purchase it. So anyway, that that's Michael's for you. So when I'm in there, I always like wandering to the scrapbook section. I used to scrapbook when I was younger, actually. And what I find dangerous about arts and crafts hobbies, which I'm, no, no, I'm not knocking arts and crafts hobbies at all. It's a great creative outlet. But the dangerous part with, say, scrapbooking is if you've ever been to the sticker aisle, the scrapbook sticker aisle of Michael's, you will know. I was just there last week. There is a, there's two, there's two aisles of stickers and full stickers on both sides. And I mean, these stickers aren't, um, aren't inexpensive either. There, you can, you can drop a lot of money really fast on not many items at Michael's and, so I th I think it's 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 dangerous. It can be really dangerous. But if scrapbooking was your only interest out of that store, I mean it it would not be that expensive of a hobby. Definitely. And I I guess no, that's a great point because at what point can we can we judge one hobby or one person's personal enjoyment as uh as better or or I guess we can't really judge a hobby by how expensive it is. I mean, at some point you can, but I, when it comes to arts and crafts hobbies, I mean, I think definitely personal taste. So with any hobby, I think just to stay focused on one aspect of it is probably the, the is, is the best less is more mentality to, to apply. Definitely. That, no, that's a great point. So if, if you're into, so pick something and really focus on it because I'm sure, I'm sure if we all dug down, 
we all like to do a lot of things, but I'm sure there's one thing we absolutely love that we will pour more time and more money into. So I think just realizing that about yourself. And Trevor, I think we can also extend this to hobbies that we do. We're going to talk about um, relationships in, in a, a few minutes, but I, I think this me- hobbies, make sure you're putting your time, energy, and focus and money into hobbies that are actually intrinsically rewarding to you and not hobbies that you're doing with other people just because they enjoy it. I mean, at some point you do have to maybe do things with your friends because they enjoy it more than you. But I think it's important to realize that if you're if you're going golfing, I mean, you used to golf with your friends because they like to do that. Or if you're going go-karting or something that is is a little bit um, expensive that you're you're being mindful about when you do that. Yeah, you do have to consider the cost of a hobby. Uh, I gave up golf uh, for two reasons. I when I had a family, a Saturday golf was basically all day, and that just didn't work with a young family. And the the cost and the time away from the family just it it just was not a good fit. You probably made new friends doing other things. I mean, mountain biking. Uh, we were talking about before the show how you now have two friends that you go mountain biking with. So with the the plethora of meetup sites and and people that you can meet within different hobbies you're bound to find like-minded people who are also interested in the same things that you are. So Trevor, let's skip down to consumer goods. And this, again, consumer goods does differ than technology entertainment. So Trevor, t- let's talk about consumer goods. Yeah, a good example of consumer's good is, is these uh, countertop kitchen appliances. If anybody's owned uh, you know, a food processor or uh, some sort of uh, slicer dicer type of thing, there's a lot of work to clean them, store them. I have a, a graveyard of kitchen uh, countertop appliances that we've bought, tried, and never worked out. I, I, I never seem to learn my lesson. I, uh, I want to bring in a little bit about the, the appliances. Um, my mom actually has a Vitamix. And it is if, if you don't have a Vitamix, it's this crazy, powerful, awesome blender. And when I'm not home, I just have this single, it's basically a magic bullet, just single cup. And it does not do as much as the Vitamix. So I do miss, and of course, my Magic Bowl is n- not a fraction of the price of this uh, this full-size high-speed blender. So I think the the argument of quality comes in here and how the Vitamix, I mean, the Vitamix is going to last a lot longer than the Magic Bowl. The Magic Bowl has a very short, use, um, useful life. So I think that argument comes up that you, and my mom was wanting to buy this, um, this Vitamix for such a long time and she finally just she just did it and it's going to last for a long time and it's it, it was worth every every um, dollar spent so at some point I think you have to put the money into kitchen appliances when you can afford them because it's just like clothes and that they will last I, I think you still need the you know think versatility is is the, is the strategy there definitely and I mean we can get in the trap of of buying the appliances we think we'll need in the future, such as that that stand-up mixer that looks really pretty sitting on the counter, but that you never use because you only bake twice a year. So uh, there's things like that that maybe try going without, and uh, like a, uh, like a food processor, something like that. Just try chopping it by hand, and if it's really taking you a long time and you derive value from having from having one, then I think that's a good time to purchase one. Moving on to our second last area in your life where less is more, it's relationships and. We we won't say much about this because we did we did do an episode on toxic relationships and um, financial compatibility where both are about surrounding yourself with like minded individuals who all share your same personal finance philosophy and eliminating those who don't just to create a more positive environment for you for you to live in. I know my my experience has been 
A few close friends are far more valuable than a large circle of acquaintances. Definitely. And I, I, I don't think there's a listener there who can argue with that because, again, at the end of the day, and I, I mean, I'm sure you can say this a little bit better than I can, Trevor, but I mean, in high school, you have you have a ton of friends, a ton of acquaintances. And then the older you get, I'm sure you find this, but you, your friends really shrink down to your close, close friends that and, and then you don't need the plethora of other friends that you had growing up. Well, you tend to become more dialed into who you are and more confident about who you are as you get older. So your circle of friends tends to shrink down to, you know, to align with your values. And and I, I think this is an area that maybe different personality types may struggle with having having maybe some some people prefer having uh, less friends and some people prefer having more so that if, if one friend's busy, they can call in another friend. But I really, really think, regardless of your personality or what your preferences, I really do think that this can apply universally. Would you agree, Trevor? Oh, wholeheartedly, yes, yeah. Uh, so last but not least, let's talk about time. Yeah, the thing with time is, and I see this with, with when people retire, there, there's a theory out there that you'll take as much time to do a task as you have available. Sometimes less is more, is if you have less time, you become extremely efficient at whatever task you have to complete if you have less time to do it in. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll schedule a chore I have to do. I'll actually schedule it on my phone calendar to start it and stop it. And, you know, I'll give myself a, you know, two hours to cut and trim the grass. Otherwise I could take all day doing that. I think retired people are guilty of, I I know my parents will often say, you know, I'll say, oh, what are you up to uh, tomorrow? And she's, oh, we're going grocery shopping. And I'm thinking, well, I I do grocery shopping uh, after work and, you know, between after working before you eat supper. So you will, you'll take as much time as you have available to do a task. And, and sometimes you might look back and say, what a waste. I, you know, I spent all day doing this and I, I could have done it in, in a half hour. So it's, it's really being mindful of, of I, I guess, building efficiencies into your life. I think that point that you just raised is definitely the, the, the takeaway point of this episode. I absolutely love that strategy about scheduling into your phone and making it almost like an appointment, schedule it in and have it an end date. Like I, I love that because I, regardless of your age, I like I, there's everyone, everyone falls victim to the idea of you use as much time as you have. And that's why the saying, if, if you need something done, ask a busy person because they are efficient with their time. And, and you, and realistically you will get things done. It, even if you don't, if, if you feel like you don't have enough time, but you have to get things done, you will get, you will inevitably get it, things done. So I, I love that. So Trevor, let's move on to our lifestyle solutions that will aid our listeners in living a life with less. We really come up with three. It's just a short list, but uh, these are just adopt a less is more mentality. Some reading or in, you know, websites you might want to visit are, we've come up with minimalism, simple living, and Recently, I've found an interest in stoicism. So they're really just uh, sort of three overarching mindsets you can apply to all aspects of your life that would really help you adopt a, a less is more mentality. And I think all of those lifestyle solutions have something in common. It's living authentically, living intentionally, living with a purpose and living with focus. And we'll leave links to some of our favorite books or websites that these solutions sort of fall under. And if you, our listeners, have any suggestions as well, we'd love to hear your key go-to for getting inspiration about these this topic and uh, these lifestyle solutions. So 
send us your links and we'd love to share uh, what you value with, um, with all of our other listeners. So Trevor, let's talk finally about living a deep life versus living a broad life. Trevor and I sat down when we were creating this episode and we were trying to come up with a way to encompass what it meant to live a life where you live by less is more. And and this is kind of the framework that we came up with. A, a deep life versus a broad life is really immersing yourself in a, in a very focused endeavor. And in, in doing that, you you probably end up being more engaged in whatever it is you're doing because you become an expert, highly specialized. And you generally have to hone fewer skills to to be that that focused in, in when we talk about a deep life, you're you're you know you can live a, a life ten feet wide or ten feet deep. You know you've only got so much time. And when I say deep, you know you become a resident expert in whatever it is you're doing, rather than somebody who's. And and I'm not knocking this, but it, you know you're just say you're you're sort of uh, into sports and you you play hockey, you golf, you play tennis, you 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 run marathons, you do all those things you you're probably okay you know you, you might be about average but if you really want to have fun in, in in a sport my experience has been is if you really train hard and, and really dial yourself into a specific sport that that sport becomes far more engaging and far more rewarding when you you become an elite at, at it when you're a marathon runner and you you actually stand a chance of winning because you've trained so hard and you've immersed yourself so much in that sport, or if you play hockey and you're you know a great skater and and, and got an, a great shot, you just end up having far more fun. And it may be the only sport you play, but if you're so focused in that one sport, you you'll you'll just live and breathe it. It'll just be far more engaging. Some people might call it obs- an obsession, but I guess you can take things too far. It's the concept of focus is really a way of achieving less is more. That's a great example and one that is is relatable because a lot of people are involved in sports. I love that. But the deep life versus broad life can be applied to absolutely everything. And it's I really think about broad life as spreading yourself too thin when you just when you just dabble in a little bit of everything and don't really don't really devote yourself or invest yourself in your time and energy into one specific thing. So that's that your example you provided, Trevor, was absolutely was phenomenal and really drilled home that point. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. And we'd love to hear from you. What does less is more mean to you? Send us an email with with what with what you do in your life that really embodies the ideal of less is more. And we'd love to share um, some of these uh, some of your emails and comments on future shows as well and that is it for this week thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to having all of you back with us next monday until next week keep it simple